Hey listeners, welcome back to another episode of Technology Innovation Series of the Maintenance Disrupted Podcast. Every day we are surrounded by buzzwords of new technology that are proclaiming to change our lives forever. Often we hear that our industry, and specifically maintenance and reliability, is lagging in the adoption of this technology. For example, AI has been used long before we ever even heard the word. It's been used in uh, financial tech, it's been used in consumers for Netflix, Facebook, and things like that. Are we behind? Can we catch up? Part of most of our jobs is to stay aware of these new technologies, not necessarily understand all the technical details, all the ins and outs, but at least be aware of the basics of this technologies and how we can start to use these. In this podcast, we invite John Soldatos, a thought leader in the space of digital technology from Greece, to cover the basic understanding and applications of some of these major technologies coming our way. We get into topics like blockchain, which is how I reached out to John, AI, deep learning, augmented and virtual reality, 5G. And at the last few minutes of this podcast, we even throw in a little bit of quantum computing. If you are in the tech space, if you're a tech nerd like me, this will be a great podcast. I hope you enjoy. Hello, everybody. This is Steve Doby here, one of your hosts of Maintenance Disrupted. If maintaining heavy equipment in BC and Alberta is part of your job, I'm excited to tell you about the fuel and lubricant supplier, Star West Petroleum. Having personally worked with Star West, I can tell you their service is unmatched, and they are committed to saving you both money and downtime. Their service team learns your equipment and suggests ways to extend its life and overall perform better. I was in the throes of starting a new job at a large-scale mine in BC, and we wanted to improve reliability quickly. One of our top issues was hydrocarbon management, and with the support of StarWest team, we were able to reduce our cost and ultimately chart a better path forward for our hydrocarbon management. My bosses were impressed, but I really can't take the credit. StarWest Petroleum did all the legwork. StarWest is a top-tier distributor of Philips 66 lubricants, Kendall Performance Motor Oils, Philips 66 Aviation Lubricants, Redline Synthetics, and Aspen Alkylate Fuel for Professionals. Also available from StarWest is clear and marked gasoline and diesel, heating and furnace oil, but really it's their customer service that stands out. For more information, go to starwestpetroleum.ca or send me an email and I will get you in contact with the StarWest team. You'll be glad you did, and so will your equipment. Now, here's your episode. Welcome back to another episode of Maintenance Disruption. Uh, today is the uh, series on technology innovation. Steve is joining me today, and we are talking with John Soldatos. Did I get that right, John? Uh, that's right. Yeah, that, that was an indication I did not get that right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> is it close enough, you Westerner? So I, I'm going to do a brief introduction of John from my point of view, and John, you can add on to it. So. You might have heard or might have talked about this on one of the episodes uh, previous, but uh, I'm a big fan of, of technology. And one thing I try to do every morning is take 10 minutes to read an article on anything technology, whether it's in our space of maintenance, reliability, or outside of it. And one morning, um, I think it was uh, last week, I was thinking to myself, and I think it was because I went down the wormhole on either Netflix or, or Prime, there was a um, show on cryptocurrency and it was focusing on blockchain technology and, and everyone's saying how it's going to change the world. And I got thinking, 
well, how is this going to change maintenance and reliability? I really don't understand it. Well, I mean, I understand the technology as a whole, but I don't understand where it can start to get applied into our world. So naturally, it went to the Google machine, typed in blockchain for manufacturing or maintenance or something like that. And there was a number of articles out there, but um, the one that was resonated most with me was, was from John. And it talked about blockchain technology in terms of taxonomy and asset data and things like that. And I thought, wow, that's great. So I messaged John and I said, hey, finally, I read a good article on blockchain technology and we got talking back and forth. Now, of course, I went down that wormhole and read, uh, I don't know, had to be about 10 articles from John. He seems to put some of these articles out. I'm not sure how you find the chime on um, on technology. Now, they're not just focused on, on manufacturing or, or maintenance. They you got into healthcare and other things like that. And so I reached out to John saying, hey, John, um, I loved your articles. We'd love to have you on this podcast. And and after I messaged you, John, I realized you're not even in our area. You're over in Greece. And we chatted back and forth and you said yes to this. Now, you're you're a professor, correct? Yeah, I'm, a, I'm, I'm an academic, but... Um... I'm also, you know, helping a lot of companies with adoption of uh, new technologies, especially mm. the ones that have, you know, the most disruption, including machine learning, deep learning, artificial intelligence, all that stuff. And, you know, and blockchain is one of the technologies we uh, have been applying in different uh, areas. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm the guy that actually, you know, goes in the, in the field and builds, you know, uh, prototypes. So we, we put the technology working, uh, you know, in different settings, uh, factories, uh, hospitals, banks. And right. uh, we, we reach at the stage where other people, you know, evaluate whether it's going to go, you know, live or for a more scalable rollout and so on. So right. that's, I don't know, it's called, uh, we call it innovation, right? It is. It is. And I think you're, you're bridging that gap between, and, and I was talking this before we started this podcast with you, John, was, you know, I end up reading a lot of articles and traditionally when they come from academia, they're so high, so high level or actually probably reverse. They're so in the weeds that I can't understand the practical applications, right? There's a big gap between academia and what actually happens in real life. And I think you're a good example of bridging that gap and actually putting things into practice. And what else I really liked is, is I've often challenged myself is, you know, in our industry, so say if you're in mining, like Steve is, right? And you get compared to a pharmaceutical manufacturing site, you say, well, these two industries are different, right? And they, and they are for a lot of aspects, but failure modes, things like that are often somewhat transferable, right? So I don't necessarily agree with, well, my industry is different because everybody says that. Um, but what I like about you, John, is you can also look outside of a siloed block of information of, say, manufacturing and say, what's happening in healthcare? What's happening in fintech? Because often yeah. what we see is, you know, our manufacturing, as I, as I call it, but it's more than that, but is somewhat later to the market than financial tech and healthcare. Do, do you agree with that? Yeah, well, first and foremost, your 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 um, uh, podcast, right, is on an area which is enterprise maintenance, mm -hmm. um, which I, I, I used to call it sometimes um, the killer app of Industry 4.0, right? Because maintenance mm -hmm. is everywhere. Everywhere where you have an asset, you need to, to manage it intelligently, and this is very important for the bottom line of the company, and it doesn't matter if it is manufacturing or oil and gas or mining or energy or buildings. So, you know, I call it the, 
the, the killer app of Industry 4.0 because it's everywhere and it, it, has, it can give you good return on investment no matter the industry uh, you are. But on the other hand, uh, your, your point is also correct, right? Usually you can get one idea from an industry and apply it to another, to another industry. It's a good practice. It doesn't work everywhere. Right, you obviously know, there's, example, right. Uh, you said banking and fintech. Well, there, you know, the physical activity uh, is quite low. We don't have so much physical activity, right? Physical mm -hmm. systems. Nowadays, everything is so much digital, right? Uh, but yeah, across industries, probably, you know, they have a, a, a cyber and the physical part. You can get ideas from one and put to the other uh, and so on with some proper adaptation, of course, right? And well, that's right. And I've often said specifically, you know, when we talk about I, IoT or IoT, I guess, in general, you know, connecting data, mm -hmm. it's a lot easier to connect data in a commercial environment than it is in a manufacturing environment, right? Commercial environment typically doesn't yes. have the ISA 95, the Purdue model and all these right? That's like, yeah, it's our building data. Here it is in one spot where manufacturing might have it in, in different places. Yeah, also also cultures are different, right? Because I work, as you said, in the different industries. Uh, for example, manufacturing industry in Europe is quite a conservative, uh, it's, it's a conservative industry, right? So not all right. uh, manufacturers are so much receptive to new tech and so on, especially small, medium businesses, right? They have a lot of headaches and problems. That's so, right. You know, it's not a top concern to go to the artificial intelligence, uh, for example, or the uh, the blockchain. Whereas in other in other industries, you know, people are more receptive, more more willing to hear about uh, digital technology right. and how so, they can transform, you know, the companies. Right. So I like how you said that you know it's the killer app or application of Industry 4.0 because we we've been seeing that too on our side is we're seeing people and technology enter our market as manufacturing, energy, oil and gas, mining, that typically weren't in this because digital is driving them to it because it is what, you know, if you look up what Deloitte or, or McKinsey, everyone's saying that this, you know, quote unquote, predictive maintenance is, is the low hanging fruit of digital technology. So we're seeing a lot of people enter our space, you know, I'll say Steve and I space that we don't particularly see, right. That they don't know what, uh, hard hat and steel toe boots are, and they're suddenly knocking on our doors trying to figure <laughs> out how we can do some solutions, right? So it's interesting to see. And, and do you see Europe um, any different from a technology implementation, um, where they're at in maturity different from North America? Um, well, you know, the um, uh, Europe is paying a lot of emphasis, uh, you know, in manufacturing, right? Because this is a, uh, a sector where leading countries uh, like uh, Germany are uh, particularly strong, right? Uh, actually, uh, the term industry 4.0 or uh, industry 4.0 uh, originated in, uh, uh, in Germany. So there is, uh, there is some emphasis. There are also some uh, proprietary systems that are good to European vendors like uh, Siemens or ABB. Right, the big ones. Proprietary systems. So I think uh, it's, a, it's a sector where Europe uh, it can be competitive to, to, to North America, right? In, in other sectors, I think uh, U.S. especially has a much, uh, you know, better, much stronger ecosystem in terms of innovation, uh, access to finance and so on. But in, in manufacturing, I think uh, uh, Europe is particularly strong. And of course, nowadays, as you said, 
adopting uh, digital technology, industrial Internet of Things, is is the way to 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 remain on top, right? To, right. Uh, to, to 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 remain at the forefront. Uh, so yes, in, in principle, yes, predictive maintenance, as you said, is a um, is a very uh, prominent, a very popular use case. I also see now, you know, that companies putting it at least in Europe in the broader uh, use case of intelligent asset management, right? So maybe if you don't, you may do not do uh, predictive right. maintenance. You may do some preventive. You may do a little bit of preventive. You know, do a little right. bit of predictive and condition-based monitoring. So at the end of the day, having digital data and being able to process helps all of them, not just the predictive maintenance. We, of course, you know, one uh, a probably very good vision, you know, for the enterprise. Right. And I think you just built some credibility there um, because often we can see people talk about asset management and predictive maintenance as one thing. And they're not right. And you made that statement very yeah, clear, no, no, right? No. And 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 that that shows that uh, you know people will use that as a buzzword, asset management and predictive maintenance as as you know equals, but they're they're obviously they're obviously not. So you you, you mentioned just briefly there three technologies: machine learning. Um, I'll, I'll I'll deep machine learning, deep learning together is one. I, I know they're obviously separate. Um, there's you know blockchain, AR, VR. Um, and I would like to, to dive into kind of each one of those and get your thoughts on them. Is there one technology looking out that you think either from, you know, 2020 or moving into 2021 that is going to be a prominent technology or do you feel in your research and your studies are, is there going to be just a combination of equal parts or recipe of different technologies? Well, I think in the, in the longer term, um, you know, uh, machine learning, deep learning, or some people, you know, because it's a subset of artificial intelligence. So in the broader sense, you know, uh, AI is going to play a very important role uh, in uh, uh, Industry 4.0. Uh, you know that after the pandemic outbreak, there was a slowdown in AI investments. There was. But, I can, uh, certainly, I think... As I think a co-founder of an AI company, I can say that was true. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Absolutely. But, uh, but I think it's a good bet, you know, because uh, uh, there are very, I mean, the automation there uh, can give you some very tangible benefits and return on investment, right? So, you know, now, for example, it's the foundation of predictive maintenance telling you, you know, when the machine is going to break, the remaining useful life, or even in quality management, what combinations of parameters may lead to a problem, right? And, and you can get all this information in advance, right? So get data from the line and predict a defect or predict a failure, anticipate a failure before it happens. And then you can either, you know, take action that it doesn't happen or it happens later, or you can uh, schedule remedial actions. So uh, we, we still have problems to, fully leverage uh, AI and deep learning in uh, the industrial right. space. Yeah, we're just uh, at the but tip. But sooner or later it will happen, right? I think yeah. to, um, if you just give me uh, a few seconds on this, uh, one of the biggest uh, things, um, one is not to have the right data, because, because this, is, this is very important to have the right data in your factory, in your plant, so that uh, the uh, deep learning algorithm or the robot can really work. But another thing which is very important nowadays in Europe, and I guess that uh, 
uh, I guess maybe maybe North American too, is to make the results of the uh, AI explainable, right? So that the mm. worker, the business management, Actually. they can understand how it works. Because if, if they tell you with a black box that, okay, it's doing perfect quality control, right? Then people may not trust it. But if, if you can spell out the rules that the AI is using, you know, rules or other insights or features it uses to do the quality control, then that's a foundation for a more trusted technology, a more right. accepted technology. So these are not easy problems, but I think we will be getting there. Eh? Now, John, if, if I remember correctly, just as soon as you said that, it rang a bell. You have a video about AI making it explainable. Um, and there was a, there was an acronym you used there, and I, I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, but it's uh, AI, maybe it's, it's AI explainable artificial. Yeah, maybe that's what it was. Yeah, I wrote it down somewhere. I thought that was neat. It's AI, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, and we've we've done a number of podcasts on um, AI and very specifically um, machine learning. I think machine learning is a little more mature than than and a lot easier to make yeah. explainable than obviously deep learning. Um, but going back on the reason why. The first uh, article I read for you was on on blockchain. Um, in a kind of an elevator speech, would you be able to describe what blockchain is? Yes. Well, uh, as we speak, you know, maybe. <laughs> That's great because I have no idea. That... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, um, I interrupted as, you. As we speak, um, uh, Bitcoin, one Bitcoin uh, is equal to, to, to uh, $40,000, right? That, that's right. It's, it's only projected to go up, right? <laughs> yeah, and maybe it's going to go up, but let's, let's keep it in, on the industry. So the basic principle of a blockchain system, of blockchain technology, is that the control of the, of the transaction is decentralized. So typically, uh, the, the transactions are controlled uh, from a central entity, right? From uh, a single administrative entity, like our bank, if we, if we talk in, uh, in uh, finance, right? So all our ledger of transactions is known to the bank, and the bank can uh, decide you know, if our transactions are legitimate and so on. So now, to understand the blockchain, imagine that you don't have a central entity having the control of the transactions, but you decentralize the transactions to many different parties, actually to everybody who is participating in the, in the blockchain network, right? On um, Bitcoin, for example. And then using uh, software, powerful software algorithms and uh, security algorithms on the one hand to make sure that this system is secure uh, and robust so that uh, you know, nobody can hack uh, the, the network. And on the other, uh, that nobody can cheat uh, on the network, right? So a hacker uh, cannot hack, but also a participant cannot cheat. So that's the beauty of the of the blockchain, right? So it's a collection of uh, uh, protocols and software algorithms that can make, uh, in principle, um, uh, a distributed bank, right? A bank without needing, you know, the Fed or the ECB uh, right. in Europe or any central party. And this is this is how it started, you know, with the crypto, the, the Bitcoin, the Ethereum, which are probably also the largest scale application. Now, some people wonder and say, okay, let's get the decentralization concept and let's apply this concept in other fields, in manufacturing, in uh, supply chain management, in energy. The rationale being that 
if we don't trust each other, right? If we don't, if we don't, if we don't trust a, a third party, if we don't yes. have a master that we all trust in the industry, let's find a way that we can collaborate in the supply chain without necessarily having a central party that uh, uh, is trusted by everybody and controls all the transactions. So that's, that's the rationale, right? And then several derivatives in different uh, domains started. Of course, they are not as uh, scalable as the Bitcoin. There are prototypes, there are a lot of blockchain uh, uh, startups. And one other important point to, to note from the technology perspective is that the blockchains that we use for industrial applications are a bit different in their properties from the crypto blockchains. So for example, a Bitcoin transaction needs 10 minutes to conclude, right? The, the industrial blockchains are special times that are called uh, permission blockchains. So you can control who is participating. It's not like Bitcoin that everybody uh, can participate on the one hand, and they have better performance which means that you can run transactions, you can run some thousands of transactions per second and you don't have to wait, uh, you know, minutes right. for a transaction to complete. Right. So it's, a, it's a, you know, derivatives of the initial Bitcoin blockchain that are optimized for industrial applications. Right. I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around this. Is there like a real world example um, that maybe just takes a minute to kind of explain like I work for for a mine. How is blockchain, I guess, applicable within what the mining industry? Yeah, first and foremost, uh, it's all about uh, all the supply chain problems, right? Mm -hmm. Because in supply chain problems, we, you know, that uh, we have always the problem of traceability. We want to trace parts. We want to trace uh, processes. And we make, we want to raise, you know, um, food, for example, or beverage, right? These are typical uh, use cases. So what a blockchain gives in all these use cases, it gives decentralized uh, trust. So no cheating and anti-tampering capability. So you cannot, you know, go in any part of the blockchain and, uh, for example, delete an entry, right? If my... Uh, product is not following the, my materials are not following the right standard. I cannot go, you know, just and cheat with a row in my database. This is not possible in the in the blockchain because everybody in the in the in the chain is watching, right? So it's not uh, it's not going to allow it, right? So this is a, a typical blockchain application. You know, the supply chains. Uh, you've got. Um, um, you know, this decentralized trust and this anti-tampering possibility. Of course, if in any industry, let's be, let's not confuse, um, uh, you know, our audience, right? If in, a, in any problem that you can have a, a trusted third party, and you say, I agree, right? I trust this uh, third party, right? To do the controlling and the auditing of the transaction. Then blockchain automatically is not needed, right? It's not, it's disqualified, right? You don't need uh any um blockchain if you trust whoever has control of your data and your transactions so if you trust you know facebook for example to keep track of all your uh, data right and to, to make sure that episodes like cambridge, cambridge analytica won't happen for example so if you trust facebook facebook there is no 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 need for a decentralized uh, social network if you trust uh, the banks right and you trust 
the Fed is no no need, you know, to 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 have a Bitcoin, right? I mean, you know, one of the fundamental things behind the Bitcoin is that now money is printed, printed, right, in arbitrary way. So people, you know, seek for a resource which is, you know, which is like like gold and cannot uh, have any inflation. So, uh, but all the supply chains, just to come back to the mining example. In the mining supply chain, you can support a lot of use cases on, from uh, based on blockchain to have traceability and uh, decentralized trust from every part. So the way the way I understand it, Steve, and Johnny can correct me. And this is from the article. Was you know when you look at it, so look at you know your industry. Where is your biggest source of data in in your CMMS or ERP system, right? And that right there is that source of information who has the right to change it a lot of people. Right, a lot of people can go in there have permissions and just say well this I can make this up this motor used to be this type now it's this type. Right, that's one transaction you're trusting that person enters the right data with blockchain technology, I always the distribution is the key right is you can't just go in and change it in one spot because the you know in, in cryptocurrencies the ledgers are not going to match so it's distributed so the other ledgers or the other records are saying hey this doesn't match this doesn't this doesn't match right i'm not gonna i'm not gonna that Correct. maintenance person is wrong it's That's not right. that right now so what it would take is I, i'm not sure if there's a number of the majority of those distributed ledgers have to agree upon that is the right change to make or how that works. But that's the way I seeing it is that there's no single way to go in there and edit a master of record as it's distributed. So I've got a, I've got a component with a serial number and we record the serial number in 15 different places. So mm -hmm. the blockchain is going to help, like, is it like a majority rules type of idea where most of these data sources because somebody forgot to update what in one spot. Um, so I'm not yeah, sure. That can, that can be a, yeah, that can be a good use case inside the plant, right? Inside, yeah. because now we, I, I guess that we are moving out in the supply chain example, I hope it was clear. Now we mm -hmm. are moving inside the plant. So um, what we, we have in uh, manufacturing, maybe, I don't know, the mining industry. So, uh, so well, it, right? It's but pretty similar at the end of the day. So. <laughs> I didn't say that out loud. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you know, it's uh, uh, it's true that um, uh, one of the problems you have in uh, in a manufacturing environment is that data can be inaccurate, right? For example, mm -hmm. if you have well, you said the example of serial numbers, but imagine that nowadays we read a lot of data from sensors, right? And when you read uh, something from a from a sensor, right, the the, the measurement is not 100% uh, uh, correct, right? So uh, if uh, you distribute these measurements, then you know the single version of the truth according to the blockchain protocol needs to have the, is the majority vote, right? So in the case of Bitcoin is a uh, 51%, 51% of the of the nodes, which is a uh, uh, you know it, it, it's it's uh, very difficult to crack, right? Because if you want to hack the, the blockchain, you need to do to get control of 51% uh, of the network. Right, okay. which is uh, an impossible uh, uh, hacking problem. Because as, uh, uh, as you said, uh, if, 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 you, if somebody tries to cheat, the other node will say, no, no, the serial number is, is this one. And this is the version of the truth that all of us know. Okay, I'm, yeah, I think I understand that. Yeah, and I think in some of the use cases I've read about is 
you know, imagine central storage and you're taking a part out of there and you take that part and that record says, hey, Vermont is this one part that has to flow into your purchasing system to flag the oh. So all those kind of have to match up, right? And if, and if someone forgot to change it in another system, then it's going to flag, hey, there's majority's not ruling. Maybe you didn't actually take that part, right? Those type of things and, and identify where those gaps are in that distributed ledger, right? So it's no more, well, just because this system says it's minus one part doesn't actually mean it's true. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, in a lot, uh, in a lot of security a... scenarios, even in the, um, uh, for example, even with the AI that we said before, it's a good uh, system to configure your uh, algorithm properly, right? Because one thing an adversary can do is, you know, just hack the configuration of the algorithm, right? So giving you, uh, you know, com completely wrong uh, results, right? But mm -hmm. if you if you have the configuration of your algorithm in, in the blockchain, this is another example. Uh, you know, it is uh, it is certified. So if somebody tries to hack, you know, how you process the data, uh, this this is not allowed. So this is another uh, this is another use case. Again, with the data reliability inside the plant, a lot of uh, use cases are in data reliability uh, inside yeah. the plant. Yeah, absolutely. And the, and the big part is the the why Bitcoin is is I guess is is. Different articles are going to say where it's going to end up going, but the, the the crypto and cryptocurrency is the encryption, is the security point of view. As as John was saying, you can't hack in or you can't change just one ledger because you have we'd have to hack into fifty one percent. So no longer is 51. if you hack into SAP and change my or my database corrupts, I don't lose that entire thing, right? It's here, it's here, it's there, it's there, and I say, hey, so I think that's the the biggest part is the the. The distribution and the in the security, not a security from the fact that it's all encrypted, but the fact that if you do lose one of these, I'm gonna it's probably the wrong term to use, a copy of the database or whatever, it's not going to lose everything, right? Or someone wants to change one thing, it doesn't have that ripple effect and, and you go through. So I think you know, I I personally believe looking at technology, this blockchain it has a potential and I've seen some companies do it on the supply chain side of things and, and vendors coming in with their part numbers and then all that kind of stuff. I haven't seen it used on mainstream technology yet. I don't know if you have, John, if, if there's anyone even outside, is there anyone outside of, you know, cryptocurrency that's using blockchain technology that even yeah, in yeah, healthcare yeah, or FinTech? You can find them everywhere, right? Yeah. Even in, uh, uh, in healthcare, uh, for example, for sharing your uh, personal data and uh, getting a reward, because mm -hmm. it's very important. For example, if pharmaceutical companies want wants to buy data, you know, from citizens, you know, like yeah. data from your Fitbit and so on. On the one hand, I would like to get the reward. On the other hand, I, I need to know that uh, what I share, right, is only what uh, um, you know the. Uh, the company gets and the company uses in the way it uses and all this can be written in the blockchain as i said there are a lot of supply chain um, examples we are using it for example in a slight different problem of uh, from supply chain uh, what we call the circular chain you know where we try to to achieve environmental performance across the supply chain by by um, uh, recycling waste and actually recycling waste uh, across different sectors, because that's where you can have a lot of value. So you get the waste from uh, automotive industry and then you create plastics out of it, right? So this is, this is a circular chain. Now, the characteristic of the circular economy chain, which is very important you know, for environmental performance uh, 
sustainability, fighting the climate change, and all this stuff, is that it's not like a traditional, you know, uh, private industrial network, which are all, you know, from the manufacturing sector. But it's actually a chain where you start mi mixing automotive manufacturers with plastic manufacturers, with uh, uh, certifiers, with material suppliers, you know, people that they don't know each other, right? And, you know, if people do not know each other, they are from completely right. different, uh, you know, industries and sector, then trust becomes uh, more difficult, right? Right. So this is this is why we are using uh, blockchain in in one of our in one of our projects to control data right. sharing across a across a circular economy. Right. It's helping. Because, you know, everybody who is listening to us would say, "Okay, come on, guys." In, in, uh, uh, different industries, people have been sharing data, you know, for years, which is which is true, right? But you always have, you know, new problems and new uh, use cases, which right. require it's different helping levels of trust. Decentralize the risk, right, of of something yes. happening, and 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 reducing the risk of essentially bad data entering into your system, right? Yeah, actually, you try to eliminate. Yeah, to, well, on the one hand, to eliminate the risk of bad data, but on the other hand, to protect the interests of the people, right? So right. we can be on the network, and um, you know, also blockchain has a, a channels mechanism, right. so and you, I can give in our, my data yeah. to you, Blair, and not to Steve. This is, a, this is another thing I can. Yeah, do. Yeah, I wouldn't give it to Steve. Right? Steve Shady. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think that's it because if you look at it from our point of view. I've seen it happen, but no way do typically vendors like myself get access to the customer's CMS or ERP system, right? Yeah, I'm just going to put in here this, thing, right? Um, it just doesn't happen. But with this type of technology, you can have a little more security and share that risk of making sure the data gets entered correctly. Um, and I think, you know, the intent wasn't to go through and make sure we all understood blockchain because it, it, to me, it, it's still, if I was to put it on the hype cycle, it's still emerging technology. It's still you know, has to prove itself or machine learning is coming down that hype cycle is coming into realizations, coming into use cases, but blockchain has got a little bit to go. Now, the other one you mentioned was uh, augmented and virtual reality, um, which I think has a, That's, uh... a, a, a big potential. I think it is somewhat of low hanging fruit. And what we talked about before we started recording this was the use case of kind of remote assistance and things like that. And that's where all the articles I've read really flagged it as the um, as a big use case. So what's your stance on augmented and virtual reality? You know, it's um, uh, some things were already happening, right? But the pandemic came here to accelerate some things. I believe that augmented reality and remote maintenance, if you allow me to use this, uh, this term, mm -hmm. remote maintenance, uh, remote support, um, is, is something that will be accelerated after the uh, pandemic outbreak. And of course, in the new normal. Why is this? Because uh, people realize that it's much better and it's much more cost-effective to reduce travel and to reduce physical activities if they can do these activities uh, from remote. So um, yeah, taking, for example, a machine or tool vendor perspective, uh, you don't really want, you know, the, your technician to travel from Germany to Mexico, from Germany to uh, to Asia to repair the machine, right, or to to, to help service the machine. Uh, rather, you want the technician to wear the augmented reality glasses and then see remote instructions from the technician exactly on his machine on how to fix it, on how to service it, uh, and so on. So that's a huge saving, huge saving on travel 
huge saving, uh, important for safety in COVID, in COVID times, because you don't, you don't want, you know, you want to reduce uh, the physical activity and so on. Again, this is not maybe, you know, for your audience, something entirely new, uh, but it is accelerated. Uh, the, the prices of the glasses uh, are uh, uh, going right. down, the prices of the, of the headsets. Also, you know, you can have um, augmented reality applications on your uh, smartphone, right? Or on your tablet. Of course, you cannot work hands-free, right? If you, if you use your tablet, you don't have this hands-free right. uh, possibility. So I think that, you know, all these technologies that uh, uh, break the time and space boundaries and allows us to do things digitally from remote and so on will accelerate even after the pandemic, right? I'm not saying that we, we are going to live with COVID all our lives. No, right? It's, it's going to be over. Sooner or later, it's, it's going to be over. So. But in the new normal, I think the, uh, the, the industry is going to see this, this benefit of remote maintenance. Right. So yeah. I, 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 put it, I put it on top of the list, you know, of uh, technologies that are going to go, cause disruption. Isn't that, it, yeah. yeah. It, I agree. I'm sure you, Steve, you would agree with that. And and listeners won't be able to see, but I held up my uh, augmented reality headset. Ah. This is this is one by uh, Realware, um, and it simply goes over your your helmet. Um, and and I'm just playing around with it because I just like tech, and it's interesting. You know, you can get these explosion proof, so you can go into hazardous locations. It has a built-in camera, so you know you can stream this back through Microsoft Teams to anybody anywhere. I can put this on. And mm-hmm. You could you could help me. Oh no, turn that screw to the left. Do that. Run. Um, and also you can pull up work instructions and all that kind of stuff. Right. And I think it's a very untapped and maybe just cause I don't see it. Um, but you know, whenever I say, oh, I, I put this headset on people are like, oh, that's so cool. I'm like, it's oh, a hard, wow. it's a hard sell. Like, is, is you it? know, it's, um, cause I think about it. It's most sites still have a no phone policy on them, at least for mining sites. Mm-hmm. Um, where I was at when I was doing fly and fly out, we didn't have good Wi-Fi at the site or yep. cellular service. Yep. So any of these remote support, like th- this place was a prime example. Um, technicians that um, there was high turnover because of where it was. So the technicians generally didn't have as much training, but we also didn't have the digital infrastructure, infrastructure in, place. in place. Yeah. And like and I think once those, my, those remote locations more so um, get that infrastructure in place, then we'll start seeing it showing up a lot more because if you don't have to fly to the middle of nowhere and then drive another five hours, <laughs> <laughs> drive past Santa Claus on your way. Exactly. Then, yeah. then you're doing really good. But, uh, and that's where I think like, um, the, the star tech or whatever, uh, that satellite internet thing that's coming out from uh, SpaceX there is going to make a gonna... huge difference. Yep. Isn't that funny? Cause, um, you know, it's positions from, and that's exactly what we wrote and John and I were talking about Elon just before this was, you know, that technology and even what Elon's doing with, even with the manufacturing of Tesla, right. And trying to get to that point, yeah. but he, he admitted, um, well, I think it was a few years back that he invested too heavily in automation at one point and actually slowed the production down, but that, yeah, that Starlink is most people think of it to getting internet in rural areas. Well, what about rural manufacturing? Now I'm ignorant yeah. to that because I did a few projects in fly in fly out mines and I said, I ain't doing that ever again. <laughs> so, right. So, <laughs> so yeah, I, I actually signed up for the, uh, the beta test of that Starlink and I just got email? an email. I, I got the email the other day and I'm like, well, I'm not, not that remote anymore, but 
if I was still up at that fly and fly out, I would have been taking that with me every time up to yeah. uh, up north. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> yeah, we'll say hi to Elon for me. It's been a while since I've uh, <laughs> I've talked to the guy. <laughs> um, oh, that's good. Yeah. So yeah, you're... Oh, go ahead, John. One, one point. You know, um, I think for our audience, it's going to be important, right? The human factor, uh, this is my experience, is very important, you know, when you go um, in a plant, when you go on the field. And, and uh, you talk to people there, and sometimes, you know, for me, I'm a, I'm a technology guy and have different mentalities and different culture, and I understand that people are sensitive. So the human factor, so at least, uh, you know, in Europe, which is, you know, a little bit of... Um, uh, different from from US talking to unions, you know, talking to unions of workers, you know, talking to the workers, explaining that you know this is this is uh, to make things better, not to make people redundant. This is to do your work safer, you know, because it can help also in harsh areas and so on. Uh, again, the example we gave with AI explaining how the the robot for quality inspections work. So all these are are really very very important, uh, you know. Right. So we shouldn't, I mean, I love uh, Elon and I love the engineer, you know, the top engineering perspective, but I think we should pay attention to the human factor. If we want these technologies to become uh, mainstream sooner than, you know, than, than later. Right. Yeah, that's, John. That's I, not an idea. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Because like we, we can bring in all the technology we want into our operations. But at the end of the day, if the people don't want to use it or they don't feel like they've had input into the decision to use it, it's not going to go anywhere. They're just like, you know, for us, we've, we've tried laptops, we've tried other things throughout the years and, you know, we don't get traction with it because we go, we take it to a technician, we hand it to him, say, you're using this, your whole job, you have to record it on this iPad now. And we've started to change that conversation. And, uh, and Blair, you and I chatted with Cody from Tech, and, yeah. and he's doing it completely differently, where he's taking that more um, user focus and building building his projects and building the tools that they're going to use based off their perspective, what they want to see, um, and doing it more that way to get that that human level, that buy-in at that that user level. Because without it, it's all these things will just fall apart, right? That's right. And I think, yeah, we'll have uh, Mr. Musk on eventually, right, Steve? We'll get him on the podcast. I keep uh, sending him emails. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's <laughs> apparently a hard guy to get a hold of. Um, we'll do that. Now, John, I did not prep you for this. It just occurred to me. There's one technology that um, I think I understand, um, and I have no idea if you have any knowledge in this, but I imagine you do, is 5G. Um, you know, the 5G technology of of... And I, we don't again. I don't want to go down a rabbit hole. I did not prep you for this. Um, but do you have any stance on five G and, and what is it really doing? It's causing COVID. Yeah, yeah other than causing COVID. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, five G is um, uh, the, the fifth generation of uh, um, uh, mobile communications. So um, effectively, is two two things. On the one hand, you can imagine a thousand times uh, more speed than the current uh, networks uh, give us, right? A thousand, a thousand times. times. Or, uh, a thousand times. Wow. So I think, I think you know, if you, if you take, I mean, you have in California the uh, autonomous cars, right? You have the fleet mm -hmm. of Google, Uber, 
uh, and so on, right? So uh, uh, you can imagine that an autonomous uh, vehicle, uh, like an autonomous car that has to take, you know, 10 decisions per second and has to uh, gather information and analyze information from uh, hundreds or thousands of sensors. And it has to do that per second, right? Requires a faster network than, uh, than we need today. So this is, you know, uh, uh, one uh, uh, very prominent use case, sensor saturated use cases, right? Device saturated use cases. Also crowded places. I don't know if you, if you got excellent, you know, connectivity, if you are in a, uh, in a baseball, in a baseball or a football stadium. Uh, well, in Europe, we, we still haven't, right? So you, with, with 5G, uh, you are going to get this, this speed and you're going to get this speed guaranteed even if you are right. in a crowded so place. The, the and so. most, important, yeah. most important is that you can, they will start completely controlling the, the, the network and configuring the network in a software way. It means that if I am in a factory or if I am in a, in a plant, right, and I need to set up a specialized uh, network, because I have, you know, a fleet of drones, for example, doing picking on my warehouse, right? And I need a specialized network. I can ask my provider to provision this network. This is not possible nowadays, right? Mm -hmm. Through 5G, it's going to be made possible to provision exactly my network for the for the drones to to operate. So this is called, you know, slicing. So you can create network slices, not no longer a one size fits all. But you can create specialized network slices for specific applications, robots, cobots, AI, okay. drones, uh, and so, so on. So it's a, it's a power of speed and it's a power of flexibility and, conf and configurability. Oh, so now I really don't know much about this space, but I do know that cellular systems for like autonomous is a prime example. and we do not use cellular systems on mine sites because they're not secure. Um, does 5G fix this? Yeah, and I, I don't not, uh, really understand the details behind why they're not secure, but right. <laughs> <laughs> I just know that every time I've brought it up, I get a very firm no from all the IT people. So, <laughs> by, 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 by the way, um, it's not a hype, right? I mean, there are 5G trials all over the world and there, is a, mm. there are commercial rollouts. Maybe, you know, I hold on my hand, my present for this Christmas iPhone 12, iPhone 12, right? And uh, it has support for, uh, for 5G. So it's not science fiction, right? It's not, uh, you know, a far-fetched a far technology that we, uh, it's something that uh, is, is, is coming. So. Yeah, uh, again, the fact that you can um, configure a specialized network uh, propagates to security as well. It means I can configure a slice of my network with special security, right? Which is different from the general security that my network uh, gives. Mm -hmm. Of course, you know, it's, um, uh, well, you may be able to have all this. I don't know if this plays a role in the mining side, right? Or in manufacturing side. You will be able to get uh, all these high speeds on a wireless network. No, you know, industrial Ethernet and uh, cables yep. and Profinet and, and all this stuff. I don't know if this plays a role, right? But maybe it can give some flexibility getting rid of the, of the cables, you know, inside the, the yeah. plant. So there are going to be some benefits. However, for the manufacturing and mining industry, 
still uh, these use cases are explored, right? Still they are piloted. Right? So yeah. They, mm -hmm. they, they, yeah, they, they try to, to see how they can offer value to the industry and how they can make money, you know, the, 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 the telcos out of it. Yeah, like I, I know from what we're doing, like we've got autonomous trucks, haul trucks going, we've got, mm -hmm. uh, we're beyond the pilot stage. And, and you know, these, these trucks and the autonomous cars and everything like right now it's a lot of the edge devices on them to help support because the that speed just isn't there for getting the information back enough quick um and and so it sounds like this 5g is going to be and i hate saying game changer <laughs> but it sounds like it's going to really help facilitate that communication and and make it so that we don't have to rely on edge devices and getting those installed on, you know, however many cars and trucks that we, we want to run autonomously. Um, and so it should help in general with deploying the machine learning models, right? Or is it? Of course. Yeah, yeah. deal with the latency issue, I guess, with mm -hmm. current cellular technology. Yeah, and also that you, you are able to do the so-called in-network analytics, right? Because this is what you want to do in the autonomous car. You don't have the, 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 you don't have the time there, you know, to get the data download in some machine and process it from there, all this IO will kill you, right? So you need to analyze the data as they come from the different sources. So yeah, you are right, Steve, this was the, the business rationale behind the inception of 5G. So they said, okay, they, they, they thought, I mean, the telcos and so on, that the number of uh, devices is exploding. So it means more data. And then the number of the, the traffic is also exploding because more video even you know for the consumers right mm -hmm. you can compare the traffic we we uh, carry on our smartphones today versus 10 years earlier so you know when this was you know incepted right so that's the the, the two main drivers devices uh, traffic so uh, more data and ability to process this data uh, fast and so on good well, I However, think, I, oh, I have, oh. I have <laughs> yeah. one more point, if you, uh, because you said there is another uh, trend um, which we might see in the coming years, which is um, running the AI in the machine, not in, not in the cloud and right. not in yeah. the smartphone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, these, these turns, are the edge devices, right? Out, yeah, yeah, uh, in the far edge devices, as you said, edge devices, but edge devices without a processor, right? On a microcontroller, right? right? On a chip. Um, uh, and what is the, what is the, I mean, this is called uh, tiny, tiny ML, tiny machine learning or embedded uh, uh, machine learning. And it could be also very um, interesting. Uh, I think the benefit is that if you are doing, you know, maintenance, you might want to detect that directly on the machine. You know, you don't want necessarily need you know, to get a lot, a bunch of data, right? And go to a cloud or to a server to run ML and so on. Imagine, you know, doing this directly on the microcontroller that is put on your uh, machine, right? Right, or, so, uh, yeah. And I like the, the term you were is far edge because we, we, we'll think about that as far edge as, as machine learning running on the PLC, your SCADA system, but it's actually taking it even yes. further into the machine. Um, and I've done a lot of research on, on this as well as, as you know, as you said, as tiny ML is, is putting it on for our world, like a on the sensor itself or something like that, right? It has its own yes. its own chip and it actually is machine learning is running 
on there, right? And if you go back, you know, we were talking about machine learning running on GPUs and then, you know, all the distributed horsepower of the cloud. And, and obviously with AI, there's, there's more horsepower required to train a model than there is to run it, but still, there's still infrastructure in place to run simply the amount of models. If you look at, you know, doing a remaining useful life on a machine, it is typically not made, the, the RUL might be made up of one machine learning, but it often is fed through other machine learning models that feed into that one, right? So we can start to essentially decentralize the, the machine learning part of it. Yeah, I mean, uh, the, it turns out uh, that you can, because of, you know, these things like deep learning is like, you know, mathematics matrices and so on. So it turns out that deep learning can run on a microcontroller, right? Mm -hmm. So the way, you know, uh, they do it because, of, you know, Google has, of course, a, a, a TensorFlow micro, a TensorFlow Lite, so a version of uh, TensorFlow, which is for tiny ML. So the way they do it is, you know, they train the model and then they shrink the model so that it can fit on the microcontroller. So you save bandwidth because you don't need to push it back into the network. You save energy and power, right? Because, you know, all these G GPUs and so on, they consume a lot of energy, right? Also to, to, to run the AI on the cloud. And you can even be faster, right? You can give faster an insight if it is directly on the machine and not, you know, getting the data and processing them. Right. So that's a good trend to, to mention. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting one because that was, I didn't want to go down this path because we could sit here and talk all day, but there's one that <laughs> I still don't have my head wrapped around, which is quantum computing, which, um, you know, I'm not sure. Oh, I understand it's, it's, it's bits within the zero and one of the binary and we can get a little granular in there and requires a lot of cooling and things like that. But um, let's not get into that. I'm just curious, John, what's your thought on quantum computing? Is it something we need to keep an eye on at this point in time or is it something that's further down the pipeline? In my view, it's coming a little bit later after um, everything we talked uh, okay. already, right? So let, yeah, uh, let's, but, uh, oh, there's a but. It's, it's going to be a game changer. <laughs> I don't know if you know the, if you know the famous uh, Moore law, law yeah. of Moore, right? right? Yeah. Uh, uh, from the, 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 the law of the founder of Intel, right? Uh, Mr. Gordon Moore. So uh, this is coming to an end, right? It went on for uh, many years, you know, for over 40 years, it's coming to an end. So it seems that uh, it turns out that quantum computing is the next big thing to give us, you know, the capacity we want to, to evolve all these uh, right. applications, which are computationally savvy. But I'm so, not an expert on, 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 on quantum. <laughs> good, and I think, <laughs> good, because I didn't want to go down that path anyways, but we will have you back on once that's more uh, more realistic to, to affecting us. Uh, I think there's a few extra parts to this, this episode that we're going to need to dive deeper into. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. This is kind of just scratching the surface. Um, so John, we, Steve and I really appreciate you coming on picking your brain down to give us a low down, a, a high level of machine learning, deep learning, blockchain, AR, VR, 5G, tiny ML, quantum computing, which we didn't really touch into um, other than it's a little further out. Um, we really appreciate it. I, I found this fascinating. I, I, I learned more than I knew coming in, which is obviously the goal of this and hopefully our listeners were as well. Um, where could, um, obviously then just Googling your name, where could uh, our listeners get in touch with you, read some of your articles. What's the best way to get in contact with you? Uh, I, I think they can, if they can connect to me on LinkedIn, I think that's the best way, you know, I, I, I post there, uh, you know, especially 
uh, professionals that have a LinkedIn account. Uh, that's that's the best way. I'm also, you know, on uh, uh, Twitter and on uh, TikTok, but not posting, you know, as frequently yeah, on LinkedIn. Uh, by the way, I've, I've got a couple of uh, books, and uh, you know, I have a book uh, uh, which is called uh, "360 Degrees View of Internet of Things," and this is this was uh, published uh, this December from uh, Artek House in uh, Boston. Oh, excellent! So, I'll uh, put that on my reading but, list for uh, sure. You know, not, not, <laughs> nobody, nobody needs to to purchase the book because I, I post most of this content regularly on my LinkedIn. <laughs> so everybody can enjoy Just it. download all the articles. <laughs> That's right. The articles no, are. I, 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 I was here yeah, to enjoy the discussion, not to sell books. So don't get me wrong. That's right. Well, John, what we'll do is we'll we'll put a, a link to your LinkedIn on uh, yes on our feed here. Uh, show notes uh, as well, and we'll we'll post a few. I think um, you know next week as we as we air this, we'll we'll post it just so listeners can read some of those articles. I think they are 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 fantastic, and we, we really do appreciate you coming on the show, John. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, thanks, John. It was great. And thanks, Blair. Well, listeners, I hope you enjoyed this podcast as, as much as we did recording it. Hopefully, you got a little bit of an understanding of the new technology. I know we didn't uh, really dive too deep into the use cases, which is something uh, we'll try to do on, a, on an upcoming episode. And again, if you do have any questions, comments, um, any ideas of what you would like to hear in this podcast, you would like to be part of this podcast, either through sponsorship or... or um, uh, actually record a podcast, please reach out through our, our website or at maintenance disrupted at gmail.com.